So let's uh, get into some football now. Reginald Walker, our mystic from the South, now joins us. Walker! (laughs) (laughs) Let's take you back to your career. Say things really worked out great here, and you had a a fabulous career where you were, you know, a 3,500-yard, 4,000-yard guy, whatever it may be and a bowl game came up, and it wasn't a college football playoff game. Would you have opted out? Personally, I think with what I know now, I probably would. What I knew then, no. And the reason why I say that is because back then, all you knew was to either to play and get the insurance policy in the process. Right, the first one we really kind of saw right. or heard about was Willis McGahee in '01 or '02 after he tore his knee up against Ohio State. Yes, yep, yep. That was kind of the first one that we that was public. Now, us as players, sort of on the inside of it, we knew of those things going on, um, and 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 how those policies kind of work based on draft projections and those types of things and position information. But all we knew was play and get the insurance policy. Yeah, yeah. Um, right. And you're fine. Right, because the insurance policy thing probably predated you by about 20 years. Yep. It probably predated you by 20 years. Um, so now let's go, let's take this one step further. A year ago on this show, I, you know, and this is months before they brought it out, I said maybe I had to go to a 12 team playoff. Now I think maybe I ought to go to a 16-team playoff, and here's my reasoning behind that. Two reasons. One, nobody's going to opt out. And number two, you need to keep yourself academically eligible. Right, right. That's a great point because you mentioned the academically eligible thing. The the guy that kind of changed that around, if you go all the way back, Right into the late 80s, early 90s, people forget Deion Sanders took all incompletes and played in Florida State's bowl game. Yep. That was his way around it. Yep. And so there's, you're absolutely right. The, the eligibility piece, especially with APRs and how that works now as well, uh, would certainly be a factor, uh, not only for the kids, but also for the coaches in those programs saying, hey, we got to watch our APR score because there's a lot of things tied to that, not not necessarily forgetting the fact that if you're a six and six football team or you know you lose a game somehow in the, in the year and you're a five and six football team if your APR is near the top you're bowl eligible That's which right. means coaches get bonuses you get another opportunity 15 more practices with your players uh, all of those types of things and it probably will save some jobs as well yeah because I'm looking at it as number one that no player has ever opted out of a playoff game. Right, so that's one. Number two, to play in the playoff game, you have to be academically eligible to do it. In other words, you just can't sit there and go, "Hey, look, you know, I blew off classes the last, you know, six weeks, whatever." Because look, I'm going to the draft. Blah 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 blah. You know, you and I have heard all that song and dance forever. Well, now you're looking around. You got your teammates looking at you. Say, "What do you mean you're not eligible? What's wrong with you?" I think that plays. I think that play. That's why. Now, how many teams do you think should be in it? I think they can do eight, and I think they can do eight easily. What you do, 
and this gives you the wiggle room, right? I, I think, obviously, the, the championship weekend stays where it is, right? Yep. So let's just say for the sake of argument, December 4th, right, this year. Um, and then two weeks later, you play the first round of the playoffs at top four seed home sites, December 18th-ish, yep. right? And so you've given that Heisman week, all the awards, all that stuff, that time is off. And then the players are essentially home for Christmas, right? If they want to go home for a couple of days and then they're back, they go to the semifinals, neutral site, New Year's Eve time frame-ish. And then on New I prefer New Year's Day personally, but that's just me. Right. And then you play the national championship one week later on January 8th. I don't think you keep moving it to the 15th. And, all. and I think if you do that, you're allowing those bye weeks to make sure everybody's as healthy as possible and then I think you can finagle some things on the front end of the schedule. I think if you stay at 12 games, I think you start the season a week earlier to allow for a second bye, um, just in case, or you uh, eliminate one non-conference game so we stop getting some of these games that don't matter to us, and, and you tell everybody, uh, you, you, obviously you need to play one sort of like-minded opponent, right? Uh, mm-hmm. So if you're a Big Ten team, you need to play a, uh, an SEC team or a Big 12 team or something to that effect. And then if you want to play a bye game, you can play a bye game. And now with the nine games left, you can play a conference slate. And I think you make a, an interesting point, uh, several interesting points there. But one of them is uh, that I like is that if you want to build the playoff, okay, I like the idea of a second bye week. For everybody, so it's yeah, sure it's a little more spread out, but I think it's important to give players, student athletes, that extra week somewhere in the schedule. Yeah, and what it does is it allows it basically allows every coach or every athletic director, whoever's handling those schedules, and the conference to give you one kind of early and give you one kind of late. Yeah. Um, in a perfect world, you can play one after week, get one after week four or your fourth game and get one after your seventh game or eighth game, right. and then you finish out the regular season somewhere in that range. Right. That's a good point. All right. So let's get to, to some of these games. Georgia. So I want to ask you about Stetson Bennett. It's interesting. I just talked about Keaton Slovis moments ago. And Slovis got his chance to play because JT Daniels got hurt. Okay, so Slovis plays, does well. Daniels looks around, says, oh, he's the big Pac-12 freshman of the year. I'm going to transfer out. He goes to Georgia. Then he gets hurt there. Stetson Bennett takes over, blah, blah, blah. We know how it turned out. Then Daniels, of course, did a good job against Cincinnati in the Sugar Bowl last year. Is Bennett good enough? I mean, he's good enough for them to beat Tennessee, and he's good enough for them to beat Florida. But is he good enough on this stage? I know they love his feet, and, and there's nothing wrong with that. He can run the football better, obviously, than JT Daniels. But the issue this team had early in the season, when you look at JT Daniels before he got hurt, and then obviously right after was a lot of the pass catchers were hurt. Now those guys are back. You got Pickens back. The tight ends are healthy. Now you need a guy that can spread it around and use all those weapons and force your defense uh, to give away kind of what they're doing and, and allow him then to pick apart those teams. I don't think Stetson Bennett is as good at that. Uh, they obviously value Stetson Bennett's legs, uh, but let's call it what it is. The teams uh, that have beat, right, Michigan, which is Michigan State, uh, they don't have a quote-unquote mobile quarterback. They have a guy who can read the defense, make the right throws, and work off of play action, which is where Georgia's at their best. 
Cook at that running back spot. Zamir White, who I saw play in high school, mm-hmm. that guy's unbelievable. Yeah. But Cook as well. People forget Cook. That James Cook is the brother of Dalvin Cook. Right. So he, we know the pedigree of that family. That kid's a nightmare as well. I think you use those two running backs with JT Daniels to set up play action and allow him to take shots down the field, and you got a chance to win a national championship. You don't, then you're relying on Stetson Bennett to run around and make plays improvising. I just don't think that's the right formula uh, against the Michigan defensive front that can chase him down just as well as they can get to JT Daniels in the backfield. But Daniels does a better job recognizing different blitz packages and getting the football out. Yeah, it, it, you know what struck me about Georgia when they played Alabama, and I want to see if you thought the same thing. Yeah, you know, I've watched Georgia play some games, including the Arkansas game, obviously. And against Alabama, they look slow. They did. They they didn't look like the faster, more athletic team. No. Uh, they also they also looked a little bit intimidated. They they looked like they didn't expect to win the game. It's almost like. They had heard about Alabama all year, and then I always use this analogy. Then it goes back to, like, the the, the, the national championship game where Alabama played Notre Dame. And, and remember, Notre Dame's locker room was closer to the field. They were supposed to walk out first. And Nick Saban jumped the gun on purpose, and they walked by Notre Dame in the tunnel. And it's like Notre Dame had seen Alabama on tape and said, yeah, they're pretty fast. And then they walked past them and realized they were big and fast, and they went, whoa, that's not what we expected. It's almost like Georgia saw kind of the same thing, and in the second quarter, it just overwhelmed them, and that game was over. And the guy that struck me was Davis, the big the big kid in the middle. Was he 360 pounds? Yeah, big Jordan Davis. Yeah, and, all of a sudden, and everybody's talked about him, talked about him, and talked about him. And then I'm watching him in this game, and he, he's standing up, not moving. I'm thinking, that's not good. It's not good football. No, I mean, his leverage was bad. The Alabama offensive line that we talk about all the time, and Steve, you know this, that the hardest thing to find now in recruiting (laughs) is people moving offensive linemen. Yep. Right. Alabama continues to find the four or five people movers in every recruiting class. That's what they have. And 360, 340, 380, it doesn't matter. They are able to move those guys off of the spot and run the football, which sets up that passing game. I think it's going to be interesting, though, to watch them against Cincinnati because these are two teams that will spread it out and throw it around. I think this will be a more, quote-unquote, exciting game of the two. Don't know what the score is going to look like. It may be one-sided, but you're going to see two teams open it up versus the Georgia-Michigan game. I think you're going to see that game played in a phone booth. And that one's going to be – it's a good thing that one's the second semifinal because your New Year's Eve plans are safe because that game's going to be about two and a half hours. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly right. In fact, you may have overestimated. Uh, so <laughs> the, uh, uh, what I find interesting, what, you, know, you do things out of necessity. So why did Mouse Davis go to the run and shoot? Didn't have any tight ends. Right, so he went to the run and shoot. Okay, really. Wow, this is novel. He looked around. He says, "I did it out of necessity." I've always felt that the spread came into being because I've I've always felt that back then, when they put it in, coaches were trying to work around their offensive line, and I think that's been the mo since. Well, yeah. If you go back to the Mike Leach days at Texas Tech, Texas Tech, 
that's the best example. And the reason why I say that is go back and look at the tape and look how wide those offensive linemen splits were. That was to force the defensive ends further out so they couldn't get to the quarterback as quickly. That's what that was about. That's what you see a lot of spread teams do. They stretch out the offensive line uh, horizontally and they make you have to come further to get to the quarterback. And then you add in things like – bootlegs and waggles and sprint outs and rollouts, it makes it harder for for defensive linemen to figure out where the quarterback's going to be. Happy holidays, my good friend. Great to have you Happy with us. Thank you, Steve. Always a pleasure. Happy holidays and um, take care of yourself. Take care, everybody. And uh, I love State College. I will leave it there. Waka. <laughs> I, heard, I, I heard that a few times with the practice. Waka. Oh, yeah. <laughs> You're the best. Thanks so much. Thank you. Take care. Happy holidays. Reginald Walker.